This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Was this two weeks ago when we did EMP? Yeah, as it's called, called in the I'm biz, hip. I guess. <laughs> I'm hip. I call the book EMP. Uh, we are talking about first smooches, and a couple listeners wrote in some really good smooch stories. Um, and some of them are like, some of them are just like, "Hey, my my Haley said my first kiss was under a blanket too. Oddly, it was very intense. I could believe that." I feel like that's almost a dad joke pun. Like I get, I guess if it's like the type of tense. If <laughs> if you're just under a blanket with someone else, is that a tent? At what? Like, I feel like you need some kind of some kind of infrastructure or like skeleton to count as a tent. Okay, some sort of frame. You're just like a bedsheet ghost if it's just you under a blanket. The Property Brothers would show up and say that this is not our tent. This is not structural in any way, shape, right. or form. You can keep why, smooching, the, but... Yeah. I don't know why the Property Brothers would need to... Like, why we would need to call the experts in, but... <laughs> I just... I, they make me feel so comfortable. Mm-hmm. I would feel better knowing they were there. Welcome to Overdue. This is a podcast about the books that you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. And this week, we're going to be talking about what book, Andrew? Uh, We're going to be talking about Johannes Cabal the Necromancer by Jonathan L. Howard. Cool. Uh, I'm going to go with Johannes. Ah, Johannes. Johannes. First, I want to give another first smooch shout out to Charlotte, who said that her first smooch was uh, she's 15 and she's having lunch at a Casa Rico. She said, a rich house. Uh, yes, it's a taco joint, apparently. Mm-hmm. And then she said it was, you know, sarcastically very romantic. Just, just you know, hanging out, hanging out at the taco joint, getting your <laughs> smooches on, probably not drinking any uh, tequila or margaritas mm-hmm. if you're 15, I hope. Mm-hmm. Got to take it easy. Some places will serve you. Be careful, everyone. What's uh, up, El Campesino in Marion, Ohio? Are you still <laughs> a thing? Uh, and we got another smooch story from Tessa, who it's longer than than I want to like recount blow by blow on the show, but it was one of those like first smooch into like more than that, mm-hmm. all in one afternoon, like zero right. to sixty in one afternoon. That's a lot. Where 60 is the full Monty, I guess. (laughs) Is it (laughs) gross? That that implies that uh, consensual sexual encounters occur at like a fixed speed, and I don't think that they do. No. You can can do them at any speed that you want. It just is all about what you want. As long as everyone's reading the same road signs. Mm-hmm. Are we going to talk about this book that you read? I guess. Um, do you want to talk about the <laughs> author first at all? Yeah. I, he's a contemporary guy, Jonathan Howard, which means that there's not that much uh, to find like scholarship-wise on mm-hmm. him. 
he got his break interestingly enough he's a british author he lives in bristol um and he got his break through the video game industry right through the broken sword series which is I've like i've never heard of that one it is an adventure game series that was not part if anybody played like adventure games and by this we mean like maniac mansion or the point and click adventure games and, yeah. from LucasArts and then more recently from Telltale. Telltale. I, think, I think they have a lot of the same people. And Sierra was a bunch of like Indiana Jones and stuff like that. It was like click on stuff. Mist is not really an adventure game. Let's not go there. Um, no. But it was a way to like tell story while also just kind of poking around and having puzzles and stuff. And the Broken Sword series apparently like tried to go for let's be cinematic Let's not do goofy monkey island like combine root beer with a stick to and like make it float, get it like mm-hmm. dumb joke puzzles. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that they are credited with, which I think is kind of interesting, is that to make their main characters not just like proxies for the player, you could like make dialogue choices. Like, what is the play- what is the character going to say next? But it wouldn't actually tell you what the line is. You'd be like, and you see this in some interactive fiction now, where it's like you don't know exactly what the character is going to say, but you pick the mood, and then they actually like have lines of dialogue, which right. I think is. And Howard was kind of responsible. He showed up, and they're like, "Well, the this is a like Templar story. They're going to go here. They're going to get this artifact, and then just like write all the other stuff that happens." Mm-hmm. Uh, and he said he got a lot of positive feedback from that, which of course then means break open your book, your like box of notes, and churn out a novel, which <laughs> which he did. I think this one was published in two thousand and nine. Andrew, um, uh, yes, I believe that's right. And he's and this is a series, so he's done I think f- at least five to date that yes. I can find. Um, yes. And the most recent one actually is coming out in like a month it's coming out on september 27th i guess okay um and yeah that's that's what i know about the series of books it's about (laughs) it's about this this guy johannes cabal um it's kind of a it's got a little of the bradbury in it okay um in terms of like tone and and he explicitly cites bradbury as an inspiration in the back of the book but yeah, it's um, it's a little like horror. It's a little like science fiction. It's a little um, dark comedy. Sure. Um, it's very British, which means it's very dry. If that makes a difference. <laughs> yeah, he cites Doctor Who as a formative influence, like old school Doctor Who, mm-hmm. uh, like Doctors I can't even name, but you know Doctors one through three, I imagine. Um, which has that kind of. It could be scary. It could be funny. It could be a historic fiction romp like doctor who is really just it's kind of like the holodeck turned into a series sure i think (laughs) i don't know doctor who is because i think it predates the holodeck that's what yeah well i mean doctor who does travel through time i just you're just you're just mixing your references i think in a way that's not flattering to you oh well i'm used to that (laughs) okay uh he also I thought this is a funny story of when he first recalled writing. This is in an interview that uh, Howard gave, and he used to make up stories a lot as a kid. He remembers, the only time that I was ever late to school in my entire educational career was because I was making up a story and forgot the time. 
It was part of my primary school's routine that the headmaster would come around and hear late children's explanations. It's a pretty cool move, I think. Mm -hmm. Uh, I told him I was late because I was telling myself a story. He looked at me blankly, which I took as a cue that he wanted to hear the story. (laughs) In this, I was incorrect. He moved smartly onto the next kid before I was halfway through Once Upon a Time. Mm -hmm. I like that headmaster's. He's got my style. I like him. (laughs) I like that move. Um yeah, he seems like a I don't know. He's written a he seems like a cool guy who likes to mix a lot of our mid-century fiction tropes together. Mm-hmm. Uh he has another series called Carter and Lovecraft that he's written at least one book for and I think he's working on a second um that's like what if Lovecraft but real. Right. Um you know, a You mean pe- it's not real? Well, I didn't Okay. <laughs> people people in this I mean the people in this book do also mention like Cthulhu and some other Lovecraftian okay. stuff okay. by name. So it's again you you decide where the line between homage and, and ripoff is. <laughs> but I think it's all done lovingly. Yes. Uh he's got another series called Rusalka, the Rusalka Chronicles, which is about a like a distant planet that is all underwater and there's hey there's a monster under there um and then it was earth all along and then right (laughs) that that i don't know uh then he's got some sort of comic series called the goon squad so he's he's got himself frightened it got his fingers in a lot of different pies this mr howard Mm -hmm. um i don't think that he is still writing for games so i think he has moved on that's like a gross idiom by the way like You go around sticking your fingers in pies to to, to see and like ruining everyone's pies. Yeah, I think the like and then getting pie on your hands. What? Yeah. So like, what is the less grungy? It's spinning a lot of plates. You're just doing a lot of a lot of irons in the fire. He is a busy fella. You don't care for idioms, do you? Idioms are fine. I just don't like them when I have to like jam my hands in a coconut (laughs) cream pie. I always think they're hot scalding pies. We can like make up different idioms, like oh, he's he's stomping a bunch of grapes. We, he's he's riding a lot of horses, petting a lot of cats. Mm-hmm. He's feeding a lot of bunnies. <laughs> he's eating a lot of chips. This guy is. I feel like we're missing a a, a key component of this. What do you human. mean, like? Like eating a lot of chips. Like, is he eating well, just like he's, a bunch he's, of chips? He's, all right. So we've got to have not only the thing that he's doing stuff to, but also like what he's doing it with. So you have the finger, and then the fingers go in the pies. <laughs> so like, he's got his tongue around a bunch of Doritos. different different chips, though. Right. That's the thing. It's different not chips. Yes. Jonathan, different chips, Howard. Okay, He's let's licking all the salt off a bunch of wheat thins. <laughs> I sign me up. Okay, let's talk about this book. Okay, what's it about? What do you know? Well, that's the first question. I just asked it. What's it about? It's about Johannes Cabal the Necromancer. Next question. Great. Who is Johannes Cabal the Necromancer? He's a necromancer. Next question. <laughs> What is a necromancer? That's a good question. Let's go there. All right. A necromancer is a guy who, or well, it doesn't necessarily have to be a guy. It's a 
I guess a type of wizard that deals mostly with death and the occult typically. Yeah. Um, so in Johannes case, he is actually trying to like, and and characters say this of him a couple times as he's like trying to do the, he's trying to do something noble, like the wrong way. Interesting. So um, we find out that, and I'm going to be jumping around a lot, but we find out that he like used to be a sort of doctor and in trying to beat death, he ah. decided to sell his soul to the devil in exchange for some like magical powers, like necromancy powers. He and didn't have them before selling his soul. No, it's, I mean, so the relationship between this world and magic is shape like, like the existence of magic is widely acknowledged. It's not like he's a necromancer and like no one in this world has ever seen anything magical before. Okay. Um, yes, there was magic in the world, but it was so rare in these modern days He'd only had to deal with it on a handful of occasions, and even then, it had been of the minor hedge witch sort. Necromancers were at the extreme edge of the world's magic. They were very, very rare, and every time one was detected by justice, state or rough, they became that much rarer. Okay. So that's, we're getting that from the perspective of, like, a former detective who we meet toward the end of the book. But, um, yeah, so he is, like, particularly magical, but it's also not completely unheard of for people to be magical in this, whatever version of, I assume England, this is modern England, 2009. No, no, not 2009. Even it's, um, set. I don't know for, for lack of a better, for lack of an actual year, I'd say it's like Bradbury esque. Like if we're, we're talking about like sometime post-war, but not that far post-war okay. so like post post-world war ii pre-internet yeah like 40s 50s maybe somewhere in there okay okay um modern but not too modern like if you brought someone back to life with necromancy they're not have they heard of the grateful dead and is it funny to them that that's the name of a band no okay at Let's least check. they never i mean it never comes up in the book and th- that may just be the pothole that there I are don't... four more books so <laughs> let's see Surely, yeah, surely at some point, somebody somebody is like a grateful zombie. (laughs) And the irony of it is not lost on Johannes or someone. Or they take great offense to someone being called a deadhead. Right. Okay, so he's this this necromancer, sold his soul to the devil, and he wants it back. Oh, Oh, okay. Because, like, he's just not happy with how the whole necromancy game is going. I don't think he's getting quite what he wants out of it and not having a soul also makes it a little bit harder to like feel feelings and to interact with other human beings. Okay. So he goes down to hell and decides just go, to, just goes on down, just takes yeah, the just stairs, head on down to hell, uh, which is represented as like a, like the worst day at the DMV. Of course, that okay. you've ever had. That's There's good, like this huge trope. waiting room with like a bunch of forms, and if you make an error on the form, they don't give you an eraser, so you have to fill out a form to request a new copy of the form that you messed up. Uh huh. Um. So yeah, he goes down to hell. He seeks an audience with Satan, who's like, who seems a little bored, I guess. <laughs> like maybe he needs a little bit more to do. Um, Satan basically says, oh, you want your soul back now, huh? You idiot. Well, if you bring me 100 souls in a year, 
I'll give it back. And he's making another deal with the devil. Huh. And the devil, like Satan, is is pretty sure that it's not he's not gonna make it. Okay. Um any like any type of soul, just get those souls down here. Yes, and we'll talk a little bit more about that okay. later. But um so yeah, Satan gives him one, this like big glob of his blood that Ew. has a bunch of his power in it. Okay. And two, the rundown remains of this like evil carnival. <laughs> Okay, and this like is where Satan it, just has a carnival lying around. I guess it was just like a venture that never took off. <laughs> um, and and um, Howard Satan had says, an abandoned podcast too. <laughs> if we were gonna be mean, we could make jokes about which one it was. <laughs> it's probably one of the five that we started and didn't it's, finish. Yeah, Satan probably one of there. those. Or may, I feel like uh, there's just a little bit of Satan in every two-hour comedian-hosted podcast where they have guests on, but every episode is actually just about them over and over again. Ah, uh, yes, as opposed to the ones that are about the guests. Those have a little bit of Jesus in them. Right. <laughs> I mean, when he's available to interview. <laughs> have you heard a, that Marin episode when a, Jesus was there? He's a pretty hard get. Jeez, he got, we got Jesus in the garage this Jesus week. Jesus is in the garage. Where's my cat? Oh, Boomer. Oh, he resurrected my cat. <laughs> Jesus, why am I so sad? <laughs> Jesus, why can't I fill the gaping hole inside me? Let me talk to you about it for two hours. Stamps.com. Have I told Stamps. you about com. my feud with Louis C.K.? Oh, my God. Jesus. Why are we we're just like, <laughs> this is the weirdest, laziest up-punching that we've ever done. <laughs> like, let's just take shots at a fictional episode of Marin and Jesus. Which we don't, like, WCF is fine. I have nothing <laughs> against it at all. I just know that the, there are just a lot of those podcasts, and not all of them I like as much. I feel like there are a lot of shows that are modeled off of that that don't accomplish what Marin does. Okay, moving on to this um, carnival. So yeah, in the in the acknowledgments, um, Howard opens with uh, acknowledging Ray Bradbury for being a personal hero and inspiration for this novel. It was something wicked this way comes that put in my mind the question, where would an evil carnival come from anyway? And the answer apparently is just that Satan had one sitting around that he wasn't using. <laughs> okay. And he'll just give it out to anybody who he thinks will do a good job with it. Okay. So he's given this carnival, and he's given a year, and he's given a big old glob of power blood. Gross. And he is told to get the get them souls, get out there and get them souls. So he finds like he finds the rundown train, and he starts like reanimating corpses to serve as like carnies and and <laughs> other people. And then he goes and enlists the help of his brother who happens to be a vampire yeah who he himself shut in a crypt like eight years ago oh that's not tense it's a little yeah it is a little tense and their relationship is interesting but underexplored i think Uh okay okay um Lighting and I mean, there there are maybe. like, yeah, there are like four or five other books in the series. So, yeah, I'm sure if I really want more of his relationship with Horst, his vampire brother. Okay. I maybe, can find it. Maybe Horst is just offended to always be defined by Johan or Johannes. Maybe. 
I think it was the other way around because Horst was the handsome one who everything came easy to. And Johannes was the nerd. Who started hanging out with dead people. Stupid old nerd. Stupid nerd. Uh, But yeah, Johannes knows that Horst is more of a people person. And if you're going to get people to come into your carnival so you can take their souls, you need somebody who knows what people like. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That's a good plan. So that's the setup. And for the first three quarters of the book, it's a little, um, it reads a little anthology-ish, actually. Not entirely unlike a a Lovecraft kind of thing, but like lighter. It also sounds like a CW show. Like it's like, (laughs) and I don't mean that pejoratively. It sounds like like whatever that show was where like literally Satan comes up and like helps solve crimes. (laughs) don't remember that it's one. It's called Lucifer, and oh, it actually man. is apparently better than its elevator pitch would Sure. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's it just the... I was reading a little bit about the book, and that was the first thing I found, was that it was episodic, because the... You know, there's this has a very clear hook for, like, and he's going to encounter this person, and then that gets resolved, and then this person shows up. And yeah, it, it, it lends itself to that, because you're just, at a certain point, you're just counting souls. So it's like, my name is Earl in reverse or something. <laughs> <laughs> Remember that thought, show? There's I a, haven't thought about that show in There ages. you go. <laughs> now, is how is he getting the souls while he's running this carnival like are there games that he's using there are games he's kind of conniving a little bit with his brother to like basically you just you need to get people to sign this contract okay and the contract says yeah you'll give us your soul so he doesn't need to kill them no does and he doesn't need to make them play killing them killing them before they sign the contract is kind of would render it moot so interesting yeah and it's also not like a thing where a carney pops up and he's like, well, you can, if you hit these cans with this ball, we'll give you a bear. But if you lose, we'll take your soul. <laughs> it's not, it's not so obvious as that. Okay. But, um, so something that you'll, something that you notice as you read through all these stories, there's one where there's this guy who like abuses his girlfriend and, like they trick they give him this like doll that like talks to him and and convinces him that she's the she's enough woman for him and she can really love him and he wants love so bad that he signs a piece of paper um there's man there's this one woman who just like wants to be prettier there's like there there's a big bunch of different stories that are going on mm. but the Theme for the first, like, let's call it like 97, 98 souls. Okay. Is that these people were all probably going to go to hell anyway. (laughs) And it it sounds like the book is treating that with a little bit of humor. A little bit of levity and a little bit of, you know, again, like you're doing the right thing the wrong way. Okay. We got to get these people to hell because they're going to hell. Think about that first season of Angel where it was just like, Law and Order vampires. It was a yeah. It was like Batman. It was like it very was... noir, and then later it got crazy and Joss Whedon-y. But and then they were working at a law firm. That show was weird. Was, yeah, it was really <laughs> weird. We're referencing a lot of television shows, but I think it, it that speaks to 
how many wells that Howard is drawing from. Yeah. When yeah. he's writing this stuff, like he's definitely, he's got his influences on his sleeve and he's cool with it. I think. Yeah. Well, cause the, the immediate comparison that jumps to mind is when you start mentioning the individual people is a Stephen King book that I read many moons ago. that I think I, mu- I must've talked about when we talked about it, which is needful things, okay. which is a, like Satan opens up a store in one of those Stephen King towns. And when you go in, like, the only thing that's ever on the shelf is like something that is it's something that's gonna make you purportedly feel really good. Right. Like I think there's problem. been like a Simpsons and a Rick and Morty and a million other shows about yeah. exactly this concept. <laughs> and and most of those people have severe problems and the the devil isn't actually there to make any of them better. Um but what that book does is all of those people then there's like a web of interaction that le- that advances the plot and ends up, you know, threatening to destroy the town. And it sounds like this is not that because this is the guy who got the devil blood just trying to get some people to sign contracts and get the numbers to go up. <laughs> right. So yeah, you get you get stories of him interacting with the monstrosities that he's created with the devil blood. You get stories about the people whose souls he's trying to take, but you get yeah, yeah. Like I like I said, you get the idea that people are these people are going to hell anyway. And a lot of this is his brother Horst's influence. He's trying to like keep him on the straight and narrow. So there's this whole sequence with a kid where you're like getting it as a journal entry from a kid and it's all like misspelled and stuff. Oh, interesting. Um but then like at the last minute before the kid can sign the contract, the horse comes in and he's like I told you no kids. Come on guys. Come on. Mm. Don't waste don't waste my time. Don't waste your time. Stop okay. it. Um So the tension comes in like about 3 quarters or 1/3 or, wait, 3 quarters of the way or like 2 thirds of the way in somewhere in there. Um when he is getting down to the wire, he's got like two souls to go and his years almost up. He's got like one more town that he can hit with the carnival. Okay before the you know before the bet is lost sure and he like there's a rubicon that he crosses where there's this woman who has got a baby that she's just not prepared to take care of like it's crying all the time and she's feeling like trapped and and you know she's a single mom and she just can't she can't handle it and she's like she knows that she needs help or she needs a break or something. And Johannes to like, con- to convince her to give him her soul, like tricks her basically into poisoning the baby, oh. and killing it. Whoa. And then he'll bring it back if she'll sign the paperwork. No. And for what? a horse, that's like, I thought, you know, even though you're a necromancer and you're kind of a jerk, <laughs> I thought that, you know, I thought that you could be saved. And like, obviously the, the, obviously Satan is just in this for the souls that he couldn't have just gotten anyway. And this, this woman would not have gotten to this place if you had not like pushed her there. Yeah. Yeah. And then at the same time, there's like this, there's this ex detective in this town that they're in who. Is you know he always got his man 
while he was on the force and he just senses something weird that's going on and he pieces everything together and um I won't I won't ruin the ending but there's like a he comes in at the end to kind of hijack the protagonist role for a little bit. Oh, okay. Like as, yeah, I like that. As Johannes becomes unsympathetic, we get this other guy who we can sympathize with. Yeah. And then we cu- and then the end is like a classic tricking the devil style twist where where he where Johannes kind of gets to eat his, get his cake and eat it too or whatever the but, idiom yeah, is. He's he going back like, to sh- idioms. He kind of short circuits the the wager a little right. bit. He I feel to, like that... he gets to pet a dog and hug a, <laughs> hug a and cat too. Or shove something. a chip in his eye at the yeah. same time. I, I feel like that is a a big trope of the deal with the devil scenario. Right. Um, who's who's the guy who wrote Where the Sidewalk Ends? Shel Silverstein? Shel, yeah, Shel Silverstein. Shel Silverstein. He has a story called The Devil and Billy Markham that mm-hmm. I've seen performed as a theater piece a couple of times. And that has a similar... It's like... It, I think it was written for Playboy magazine. And nice. has it, the whole thing is like, can this guy go and have sex with as like a certain number of women as possible before he runs out of time and the devil gave him the means to do so and then he ends up like tricking the devil and marrying him or something like that's how he like ends up beating the devil is like tricking him into marrying him it's really bizarre yeah but it, it has that kind of like the only way to beat satan because is obviously satan, satan is not satan. yeah he's not interested in being like above the board with you no so you kind of have to get dirty with him mm-hmm Ew. Um, ew. <laughs> is it left in such a way that like we're gonna have to deal with Satan in stories yet to come? Yeah, obviously. Okay, like you don't get rid of Satan. It's yeah, like you don't. The way the book ends, um, you get a little bit more insight into exactly why Johannes is so interested in beating death. Oh, okay. And you get a little bit of a moment with Satan where he's like, "You haven't seen the last of me." I would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for you meddling necromancers. (laughs) And then he vanishes in a poof of smoke in a way that suggests maybe he will not be the primary antagonist of the next book, but he's, he'll be around. He'll be back. Yeah. At the end of the next book, that book's antagonist will have been working for Satan. Right. Or something. Yeah. Can you tell me a bit more about this, like above the board vampire? Who's like, why is he, I know you said their relationship is a little underexplored, but like he otherwise seems like a cool dude if he's yeah. willing to re- like restrain Johannes. His character is a little so the most interesting stuff that this book is doing is about that sort of morality and like bad people doing good things and good people doing bad things and Sure. I guess the whole relationship is constructed so that Horse can say, I thought I was the monster, but actually it's you. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, and, th- and that's really the crux of it. Um, there's a little vignette with this, like with this old rich family that met a bad end that ties into like why Horst is a vampire. But aside from vague intimations that it had something to do with Johannes research, Mm-hmm. there's not a lot of why he's a vampire. It's just he like, just is. He he's, just a, is. he's a vampire and that's, and that's fine. Like this, 
there are a lot of places in the story where you just have to say, okay, that's what the story is doing, and so that's fine. Yeah, does it does it seem to play fast and loose with its rule set, or is it really more? It's like kind of it's Calvin balling, but it'll write it all down later. I don't think it's quite Calvin balling. I think the way that magic is applied is fairly consistent. Okay. Um, it's just like okay, there are vampires. Okay, there are necromancers. Like it's that they're not interested in like telling you that Johannes has a bunch of midichlorians or whatever, and that's why he's a necromancer. <laughs> it's just like here's a thing that's true, and you're gonna read a story about it. Sure. I I was wondering that because uh, in a couple of the interviews I did find with Howard, he talked about being a rabid like board game collector. To the point where, like, he can't play all of the stuff he buys, but he I know does. That. I know that feel. Yeah, he does really enjoy reading the rules, and some of them are for actual like role playing games, like Pathfinder or D anD D, and some of them are just other board games in general. And I was w- just wondering if he'd set up his magic if it felt that rigid. But I I sympathize with that, like. It's sometimes it's just cool to hear how things work, yeah. even if I'm never gonna spend the ninety minutes. To I mean, play. he does he does spend this little bit of time telling you like how much devil blood is needed to create. <laughs> like a, a low level grunt does not take as much blood as like a barker or like a oh okay uh, like a second or third in command like it, and it never really comes up. It's not important, and you almost forget. <laughs> About the blood at the end, like it's there's no moment where he goes to use some more blood and then there's just like he's used it's it's his supply and it's gone. Um, or there's he, no like Harry Potter like forehead scar moment or something where like it's important that where he had the blood. Someone tries to kill him as a baby. No, 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 what no. You, but, like because like that's that, the forehead scar moment. No, but like that becomes later. Like later, that becomes important to prove that like they're connected. Like sure, yeah, no, I mean that kind of insofar as it does come back to bite him a little bit that this stuff is all just Satan's material that he has borrowed. Sure, sure. Um, but the meticulous cataloging of like the the amount of blood used for stuff and the fact that the blood is slowly depleting the whole time at all like they they kind of make a big deal about it and then it never ends up huh mattering that much so i mean there there are some bits of this book that feel a little loose and i I was reading some i don't normally do this but i um i was you know looking up stuff about the book and i saw you know google gives you those little cards that have contextual information about them so like you'll look up a movie and see the imdb rating or tomatoes or whatever so i looked i was looking this book up and i saw it's goodreads score and so i was reading some goodreads reviews and one of them like what the most negative one most of them were like middling to positive okay but the most critical one i read said that this reads like a video game like this the character is given a quest and then they have to keep fulfilling the quest and like maybe the it, the story is not as immersive or as compelling as it would be like written down or like mm. you know as it would be in a game as it is when it's written down if that makes sense 
did you feel uh, I imagine you read that afterwards so that I did I didn't true? It, I didn't 100% agree with it but I also could see where he was coming from sure and I think there are some things in the book that don't feel as weighty as they want to or that just feel like I said a little underexplored that I, I'm sure that sequels help both because he's going to have more time to spend with some of these characters and more time to flesh them out and because he is just going to mature as a writer and a storyteller oh, yeah. as yeah. he keeps going. So I actually would be curious to pick up the next one or two of these and just see how they unfold. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's good. I, I enjoyed it, <laughs> but I could definitely see why someone wouldn't enjoy it. Especially like the humor is very dry and some of the, this this isn't quite as struck me funny, but I did. It is kind of an example of some of the weird metaphors and stuff that that Howard gets oh, okay. up to. Um, so he's describing a character seeing someone who has been brought back from the dead, like somebody who he thought was dead and buried. Okay, who's kind of been inadvertently brought back by all this devil magic flying around. Mm-hmm. Um. He glanced at Carlton, but he was looking at the station master with an odd expression like a man who's cracked an egg and found inside a favorite toy soldier that he lost when he was five. Whoa. <laughs> like, that's not a universal feeling that he's referring to. No. But it is an interesting... I do like it as a way to convey... I love it. ...a vague sort of confusion where, like, you just... You know it's not supposed to be this way, and you that's like as far as your brain can get with it. Oh man. I feel like if I took ten extra seconds to say things sometimes, I would come up with something like half as clever as that. <laughs> I feel like my brain is constantly as evidenced by earlier in this episode, I feel like my brain is constantly trying to jam different Legos together to make things like that. Right. It's just what it wants to do. Mm-hmm. So good on Howard for like actually putting pen to paper and and making that happen. Literally. Hey. Uh well, to your earlier point about um his influences and just like him as a modern author and I wonder we haven't come up with too many books that feel video gamey though. I've seen I feel like every year or so I see one or two more movies than usual that get like that knock against it. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. In the sense that, like what you're saying, it's like it's underdeveloped from a narrative point of view, but like there's some clear set pieces that characters are just moving between with no real like logic that are otherwise interesting. Um, I found a quote from him in an article about the Carter and Lovecraft series where he was telling the story that he was writing this book set in America and uh, he's never been to America and had his editors like constantly helping him with speech and dialogue. And then he said that Google Street View was like a real asset as he was writing that book. Mm-hmm. And I just have never, that's not a thing I've heard an author say like, oh, I have to set this book in Massachusetts, which is in a country I've never been to. Let me right. street view it so I can know where to set it and like come up with a geography. Now the internet's a really cool resource for that kind of stuff. And you can actually, so I, when I was writing the first D and D campaign that I wrote, okay. It was about, it was about giant bees because (laughs) I feel like maybe 
Oh yeah, it was all because I wanted to make a B movie joke at the end. Man, where the boss's name was Barry B. Benson. Long way for a little joke. <laughs> a long walk off of a place where they meant to build a pier and then never got around to it. And then there was a toy from your child. <laughs> <laughs> but I was looking up stuff about bees, uh-huh. and I found all these crazy bee facts <laughs> that it just turns out that I could use. Because uh-huh. like one of one of the characters had like one of the players had bought an elephant at a store because why we not? Were just like oh, just like anything that's in the book that you can buy, like just go ahead. And that's so for some reason he bought an elephant. But I found out that I think in Africa they use beehives mm-hmm. as sort of natural fences to keep elephants away from crops or something because elephants are scared of the bees. Oh, okay. And so I managed to organically write his stupid elephant out of the campaign by saying that's, that he was scared of bees. That's very smart of you. <laughs> the internet so, is a powerful tool. Yeah, it's like you've got a bunch of resources and you also never know which like which rabbit hole is going to be the most productive. So yeah, I could mm. totally see using Street View to get the lay of the land and see what houses look like and see like how cars are parked and or 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 come up with like random inspirations for like hole in the wall places. Yeah, like yeah. That's a cool. That's or a like, cool thing. You yeah. You only you only need to notice I think a couple of little consistent details about a place to be able to make the place feel like way more real by putting those in as as like touchstones or details in your in your story. Because people who yeah. are from there will be like, oh yeah, I know what that is. He must really know his way around. <laughs> And people who aren't from there are like, oh, man, this seems like such a fully realized world that he's created. He must really know what he's about. Welcome to Overdue, where we help you gaslight your readers <laughs> with hot internet writing this is tips. a service we provide. We do have to use devil blood. <laughs> Andrew, if you were going to make a deal with the devil, what would it be for? I guess, like... Hmm. Does it have to like, be for I, one thing or can I just like improve one thing about myself in perpetuity? Knowing full could, well that it would like backfire on me at some point in the future. Yeah, it doesn't have to be like a deal with the devil for a boat. Like it doesn't it's not That would be a bad one. Is yours is your answer one. boat? Uh, I hope it's not boat cuz that's a stupid it's, one. <laughs> it's it's not boat. It's not I don't know boat. what my answer is yet. But go ahead. Um, What's yours? I think I would just like follow through. <laughs> Yeah, okay. If either follow through or just like the ability to concentrate on stuff once I start it. Mm, and maybe mm-hmm. I just need to get like brain medicine to Possibly. help with some of that. But sure. I guess that would be mine. It's because I'm always, I'm like eternally frustrated by my inability to buckle down and just knock stuff out when there's not like a deadline hanging right straight directly over my head about it. Mm, hmm. I think I would. Uh, get the devil to let me like stretch time, like Wait, let me like so you like, could do like bullet time or, wh- or so like, like if you had a free hour you could like make it three hours. Yeah, like I want I want like a little I want more hours in the day, but only when I want it. <laughs> you want a time turner, basically. <laughs> I do. I want it. Yeah, but like I don't want to 
Mm, I don't want to create weird loops where I think I'm my own dad. Where or, like, like or like where people come out of where people are talking to each other and they're like, "Oh, I got lunch with Craig today." And then one and then the other one's like, "Wait, I got lunch with Craig today." That would be cool. No, that's how it unravels. That's how it goes bad. Oh no. So you could either do that you could either do a time turner for that or you could do a thing where you met with both groups of people at the same restaurant but at tables where they couldn't see each other and you kept like getting up to go to the bathroom. Oh, Fred Flintstone style. Yeah, and like yes. switching between tables. Yes, the Elk Lodge. Mm-hmm. Um I bring that I did a little research on a couple other uh deals with the devil. Usually it's just so you could like for playing the guitar. I yeah, think that's well, the most <laughs> common one. So Robert Johnson is the one is like the famous blues guitarist who apparently met met Satan at some crossroads in Mississippi so that he could play guitar real good. Is he the one and from Oh Brother Where Art Thou? He's the one I just based on him. That's based he's not in that film, but yes. Okay. Uh they based it on him, I think. He died at the age of twenty seven. Um the there's like the Faust story, the Faust myth or play. Faust may or may not have been a real person, may or may not have had a real deal with Satan. Uh, according to Christopher Marlowe's play, he definitely hooked it up, hooked it up, hooked up with Helen of Troy, which is where we get the little line like face that launched a thousand ships. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he like exploded into blood and got dragged down to hell because of his deal with Satan. Gross. Um, Wait, and then so there's what? The, I guess what is selling your soul to the devil? mean does it just mean you're going to be plagued by misfortune does it mean you're going to die young does it just guarantee you're going to go to hell when you're done that's the version that's presented in this book is that like no matter what you do you're you're going to go to yeah hell. and you like have to know that the whole rest of your life and that that's going to cast a, a pall over some stuff but yeah yeah i i think it comes out of this like in these stories and and there's a legend about a, a violinist, uh, Niccolo Paganini, who has a similar like Robert Johnson thing. Um, yeah, I think it's like, do whatever you want with me when my body expires. But in the meantime, I want to be real good at BMX and like do some <laughs> sick jumps. <laughs> like, I want to be known now. I want glory now. I want to, or it's a more selfless deal with the devil where it's like, I want to help this person and I'll do whatever it takes but that that's not usually the lesson that's being imparted that's more tragic well and then you're you're just creating work for the person you're trying to save because they'll find out what you did and then they'll sacrifice themselves to save you and it's just Uh this whole there's a whole bunch of paperwork (laughs) (laughs) i think faust's deal was that he he wanted like some superpowers to mess with people on earth because he thought that he could like dominate here on earth and then it was a you know a lesson in piety and and humility when ultimately his card got called and he had to go back to hell mm-hmm. and exploded or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I I think it's that's that like once you make that deal, it's not like a monkey's paw situation all the time. I, I don't feel think like always... there's there can be a a hint of the monkey paw in there. Yes, but it's it's not as like consistently ironic right. like what what if you said i want to be the best guitar player but the devil actually makes you the best bass guitar player 
I think that's a real monkey's paw situation. That's a pretty good <laughs> rock and roll monkey paw. That's my band. Rock and the rock and roll monkey, monkey paws. <laughs> Did we miss anything in this book, Andrew? I, anything else to you talk know, about? I mean, we could talk a little bit more about like individual characters or vignettes but i don't i don't think i would want to i think it's like if you if you're in for a little bit of dark comedy and and horror and are open to the idea of getting into a small series of like 300 ish page novels like they they, they you, i read this in like four hours or something so oh, okay. um i know there are people who specifically like short series is that they can get into and yeah this is this is one to try i think and the fun of it is reading all the different little shifts in tone and like storytelling techniques so i don't i don't want to totally blow it up and i also don't want to completely blow up the end because i haven't done it even though we have talked about some of the stuff but sure and from what i understand the books that you know in the sequels they kind of stretch a little bit in terms of structure or like primary genre like they one of them is a bit more of a direct mystery well yeah the next one is called johannes cabal the detective i think detective yeah Yeah. so it might be more of a sherlock holmesy thing yeah so i think you get it sounds like you get accustomed to some characters then he starts playing with the formula like the hundred souls storyline does get wrapped Wrapped. up at the end of this book so it's not like a it isn't my name is Earl in reverse where every <laughs> where every single book in the series is him getting another soul. No. I don't know why that phrase just makes me laugh. You know, the, the old reverse Earl. <laughs> I also keep thinking of that guy's mustache in that show. And that, that makes mustache. me laugh too. Oh, it's man. very like Nicolas Cage in Raising Arizona. Just that show's whole <laughs> aesthetic. Uh, if you the listener want to share your favorite mustaches with us you can use social media to do so you can hit us up on facebook.com slash overdue pod or twitter.com slash overdue pod you could even write us an email at overduepod at gmail.com i know last week uh i didn't read the list and i promptly got told by graham that he would never tweet at us again because i was never going to read the list so i am going to read the list yeah do it so but Graham, don't read don't read Graham's name. Oh, oh crap. Okay, shoot, so not gra- not not Graham. Spiteful. Uh, Grace sent us a photo of her googling uh actually delicious turkey burgers and wanted to apologize for doubting you Andrew that there were actually delicious turkey burgers. That's I mean that's what the recipe says. I made those she just found one. Yeah. just the other day. Um so I also want to thank Christine, Sarah, Aubrey who has a functioning copy of Goldeneye for the N64. Ba-da, um, ba-da. Haley, Mary Kate, Nora, Jillian, Liz who once got matched with James Bond on a personality test and is dismayed. <laughs> uh Sophie, Chanel, Jeff Umbro, uh Rachel who played Money Penny in a radio theater version of Casino Royale that very thankful role I think. Um Ninskini, Joe T, Ellen, Charlotte, Nora, uh, the After Six podcast, Lobby, uh, Nate, Tessa, Michael, Renee, Margaret, the New York Public Libraries podcast. They uh, they gave us a nice shout out. Was this it their week. podcast or was it just there. them? I thought it was their like main feed. So it, it was whoever over there, whoever did it. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thanks, thanks, libraries. Um, 
Sarah listens, Kristen May, Camille, uh, and Lucas, who... <laughs> so if you listen to the end of last week's episode, uh, you know that we are talking about that shiny Tongan boy. Mm-hmm. Um, and Lucas said, my Tongan co-worker explained it as, well, we all knew him, but now he's out there for the rest of the world. <laughs> Uh, so you can find the our very, glorious, very good glistening, glistening flag, flag boy. boy. Yeah, uh, Andrew. If folks want to find out more about the show, where should they go? Uh, they can go to overduepodcast.com, which is where we have links to iTunes and Google Play and RSS and Stitcher, uh, which you can use to subscribe to the show. If you do subscribe in iTunes, do rate and review us. A lot of you have been doing that. Um, we do read all of those, the good ones and the bad ones. I don't mind bad ones as long as they're constructive. So like leave a bad one if the show's not for you like we totally get it but don't like make it a mystery why you didn't like it because <laughs> that just makes us feel bad and isn't helpful but if, but if you want to leave us a note on itunes to just call us silly boys like we're there for that yeah That's because also... that also happened <laughs> um we've got up on our website we've got links to amazon for the books that we have read and are going to read if you want to read ahead if you want to read watership down uh, which is the book that Craig is reading for our live show that's coming up on this mm-hmm. this Saturday. Yep, Year um, of Our Lord, August twentieth, six p.m. The Tattooed Mom Bar in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. That's on South Street. Uh huh. It's a good bar. It's going to be a good show. Um, I am mostly looking forward to it and partly scared of it, <laughs> which I think Andrew, is a good place to be. Andrew's going to get his jitters out. Uh, in the other live show he's doing for appointment television, ATV podcast at Twitter, etc. Um, Which is 4 p.m., same place, same day. Yes, with our friends Catherine and Margaret. Uh, they're going to do a great job, so you should come see them and then like stick around and then watch us and then grab a drink afterwards. It'll all be a great time. Yeah, we'll You'd, be partying. It's free. Like, you don't need to buy a ticket. Just show up. Show up. Drink beers. But we are going to start like we're. I mean, as far as we have control over it, we're going to start right on time because I know that they like try to keep to their schedule. Mm-hmm. So, and we'll put out a call on Facebook and Twitter like to remind people, and also like if you have questions, we'll try and leave oh, some yeah. time for like a Q and A at the end. So if you do have stuff, um, and you're going to be there, like do feel free to like email us ahead of time if you want, or just like bring them. And that would ask actually them, be, but. Yeah, that would actually be great because then we can allot time for it like, right. because we're trying to adhere to the PodFest schedule. Like if we know that there's going to be a couple good questions at the end ahead of time that we can have you ask while you're there. Yeah. Uh, or if you're not there and you just want to have us answer your question on air, that works too. We yeah. can do that. We okay. can do that for you. We love you. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for saying what was on my mind, Andrew. <laughs> um, we've also, last last website stuff, we've got links to HeadGum, our podcast network, Spreaker, our podcast host, and our Patreon project, which you can use to uh, support us financially. A couple more people have signed up for that in the last couple of weeks, so thank you so much. That means a ton to us. Um, we are, I hope, going to have some long-delayed like merch news for people. Yeah soonish um we had some like financial stuff to work out on our end that we got figured out so we're going to be printing um some proofs and stuff up soon and then we'll go from there and we are and we're also um retooling a couple of the 
um, logos and, and pieces of art that we were using based on some of your feedback. So yeah, that's still, still happening. We haven't talked about it in a while because we feel bad about it and we have nothing to share, <laughs> but I think we are moving that ball forward slowly again. So yeah, uh, sit tight. Hopefully we'll see you uh, next week and we'll definitely be back next Monday. Craig, do you now? What are we going to do next Monday? Are we going to try and do the choose your own adventure? That, Unless we get audio from the live show super fast, that is, I believe, the plan. Okay. So uh, we're going to be reading Prisoner of the Ant People, another Choose Your Own Adventure book. Um, Come back for that next Monday. Until then, everyone, thank you so much for listening and try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.